0: Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to come and grow their minds and businesses. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And today we welcome Russell Platt, who's the co-founder and CEO of Forum Global, Forum applies innovative financing solutions to entity level real estate investing, providing investors with downside protection while rethinking upside potential. Welcome Russell. Thank you, Doug. Tell me a little bit about Forum Global.
1: Uh, Good. Well just a quick biographical note. Uh, Forum Global is a firm I founded with uh, two other partners nearly 20 years ago. Next year will be our 20th anniversary. Before that I spent nearly two decades at Morgan Stanley. So now almost four decades in the real estate business uh, as a banker and as an investor
0: that's amazing um, so what kind of investments does Forum Global make?
1: Well, as the name suggests, we invest on a worldwide basis. We have made 100 investments and we'll talk more about the how we structure those and the types of investments we like to make mm-hmm. uh, in 20 different countries so across Asia, across Western Europe, and now we're very heavily focused in the United States uh, for Reasons of the strength of our economy,
0: and you focus in three disp- specific areas with those investments.
1: Well, in fact, uh, we have three that are quite active in our themes, which we'll talk about. But we've invested in probably eight or ten different property types over the course of our twenty-year history, depending upon the stage of the market, what country we're investing in, what city we may find relative attraction in multifamily, or in offices, or in industrial logistics, or now more recently innovative property types like data centers.
0: So what specific investments have you been made to date?
1: Well, in this new fund, we have three investments, and they really follow our, uh, some of our uh, key themes. One of those themes is e-commerce, and we have established an alliance with a company called Prime Data Centers. They're based out in San Francisco, and they build, own, and operate uh, institu- uh, institutional quality uh, data centers, primarily in the West Coast and some in the East Coast. So we made an investment in in one of their data centers, uh, which we can talk about later.
0: Yeah. And you also do shopping malls and multifamily investments.
1: Uh, That's correct. Uh, Our second investment was uh, following our theme of suburbia. Uh Now, everyone has really been focused on the cities for the past couple of decades. And, of course, we've seen a great renaissance in New York and San Francisco and other major coastal cities. A few years ago, we realized that the suburbs had passed by but that millennials, who are actually the biggest cohort of population now, are starting to form families and want to move back to the suburbs to to have the white picket fence dream of America. And with that, they want to bring jobs with them. So we accumulated a portfolio of suburban uh, office buildings. And then another theme of ours is distress, and there's no lack of distress given the last year and a half that we've been through. The two areas that are uh, foremost in that, in our minds, are hotels and retail both of them are deeply depressed in terms of valuations and cash flow both are incredibly management intensive so we bought a 50 percent interest in a retail shopping center management company and through them we've acquired now our first distressed retail asset
0: so being thematic investors i understand that whole thing but how does that fit into real estate
1: Well, it's interesting. We think themes are what drive the broad economy. And uh, if we were investing in stocks or bonds, we'd certainly have key themes about inflation, for example, that drove our selection of long-term bonds versus short-term bonds and that type of thing. It's just as important in real estate. It's just articulated in a slightly different way. So e-commerce is having a tremendous impact on real estate. It's driving the need for data centers. It's driving the need for distribution warehouse and logistics facilities, and it's crushing the demand for retail properties, thus our distressed investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is uh, aging. It certainly affects the type of housing uh, we need, uh, and we're really focused on affordability in housing, both for that millennial generation we just talked about and also for their parents and grandparents who are now uh, seeking a place to retire or they're looking for uh, aged care, which is specific to their uh, needs. Uh, And then we look at global dynamics in terms of trade, and that really drives where do we want to be. As I mentioned right now, the U.S. is clearly uh, the strongest market in real estate worldwide, but we see now some signs of recovery in the U.K. Uh, They're uh, second to us in terms of vaccination rates. Ultimately, that'll flow through into continental Europe. And then there's some markets in Asia, for example, Australia, which we think are really playing off the recovery of the economy in China. But without the same political risk that we see uh, in the PRC. So uh, those kinds of of broad demographic trends can drive our selection of assets and markets as well.
0: We're seeing a lot of um, news about malls that are being vacated and taken over by distribution centers. So can that be thematic, suburban, and whatever, check a bunch of boxes for you?
1: And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if, if the same if a set of, of trends then converge into a single property type and asset, that's fine with us as well. We just mm-hmm. have to know what are we going to do with it. So in the case of uh, the, the uh, retail distress asset, we bought a Sears store that had been closed. Right. Sears owned most of their stores. That was really, the, in some ways, uh, the value in the, in the whole brand. Uh, this particular store, at the peak of the market, would have been valued at perhaps 15 to $20 million. We're buying it for $2.25 uh, $2. million. We're actually paying a price per square foot for 160,000 square foot, two-story, typical department store that is less than the rent we'll get per year when we re-tenant it. Mm-hmm. And that is an extraordinary, that's the definition of distress. When you can get your money back effectively in one year, yeah. that's a distressed investment in real estate.
0: Right. Not to give your secret sauce away, but when you're out looking for investments, what are you looking for?
1: Well, again, we, we start with those themes and that drives us to particular property types, particular cities or regions of the, of the U.S. or the world for that matter. But the first thing we do is not to look at assets. We really look for people. Real estate is a people business, and you, you could have two buildings identical to one another on uh, opposite corners of the street. One is managed by a well-motivated uh, team that really understands their target audience, and the other is uh, managed by a third party that's simply in the business of collecting fees. Those two buildings are going to do very differently, even if they're otherwise identical in location and in the, the building structure. So we focus first and foremost on finding a team that can articulate and execute on the theme that we identified. And once we do that, we want to create alignment with them so that we can create profits over the long haul. Now, what does alignment mean? Well, there are a couple things that go into it. Uh, The first is we want financial alignment and they have to have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. If we have a management team that doesn't have skin in the game, isn't invested in the same assets we are, they'll be less motivated. their objectives are going to be different. And also that means that when we're structuring in a relationship, if there's any way that they can make money uh, out of that piece of real estate, we want to have a share of that. They might get a share of the property cash flows. We want those. They might get some asset management or leasing or property management fees. We want to get a share of those as well. They might uh, charge a carried interest or promote to the investor in the building. We want a share of that. Now they can have a higher share than we do, but we still want to have no daylight between the way they make money and the way that we make money. And uh, getting that alignment also means transparency. Uh, It's not just enough to dial in once a year and say, hey, how's the building doing? Uh, If they're a company, we want to sit in their board of directors. We want to uh, set a financial uh, results each quarter. We want to see the operating statistics on the property. And we want to have a a say in how the business is run, including uh, in extremists. Uh, the ability to change out the management team. And out of 100 investments, we've probably had five or six where we've had to do that. Uh, that's not been something we do with uh, any uh, gusto. Uh, we want to keep the management teams in if we can and motivate them. But if they don't do their job, then we replace them.
0: And that's how you decide whether your investment is true or not.
1: Absolutely. It, it, if it were simply uh, a matter of identifying assets that were consistent with the theme, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks who do that. Uh, whether they actually manage the properties in a way that maximizes long-term value and create alignment with their uh, institutional investors—that's a whole different, uh, different matter. And we think we do that better than just about anyone.
0: Can we go into a little bit of a how you structure the deal with you, the investors, and institutions?
1: So we really look at it uh, as a holistic relationship. We want to, having tracked down and found a management team, typically someone we've known in the industry for a long period of time, uh, and identify that they could execute the theme that we think is so important, we really want to put a lot of care and attention into structuring the relationship. So generally that means, uh, not always, but uh, more often than not, buying a stake in their company. We want to become a shareholder. 10%, 20%, 10%, 20%, it doesn't need to be majority control. Unlike private equity firms, we don't need to control the company. In fact, uh, entrepreneurs you know, uh, are driven by creativity and a, a, an opportunity to profit from their uh, value created. So if we had too much of the company, we'd actually create a counter incentive to what we're trying to achieve. But So 10 or 20 is typically enough. And then we try to structure a co-investment relationship. And by that I mean, If they find an interesting asset or opportunity, they have to share it uh, with us. And we'll agree in advance the terms on which we'll participate. And as I said before, that means if there's a a stream of cash flow they get, we're going to have a piece of that as well. And generally that serves us quite quite well as investors.
0: How can advisors take advantage of something like this?
1: So we have set up a, a Reg D fund. Uh, that is uh, Forum Global Investments LP, and it's it serves as a co-investment vehicle that tops up the money that we put into each of our co-investments with these management teams that we talked about. And those investors get to have that same share of underlying real estate cash flows, asset management fees, property and leasing fees to the extent we share in those, uh, and also uh, the GP carried interest or promote. So the underlying uh, uh, income to this fund is much more diverse than a traditional real estate fund, which is receiving just lease income. The other thing that we do differently is we don't actually charge an asset management management fee to Forum global investments. Uh, there's no uh, no fee uh, up front, uh, no fee at the back end. Uh, we simply get the excess return after we pay a 9% coupon paid monthly, and we pay At the very back end, after we've uh, liquidated the fund, uh, 10% premium to the investors. So it's heavy on income, it's heavy on downside protection because it's preferred in uh, stature to our holding, which is all the common equity, and we do have capital deployed. We have skin in the game too, Doug, Mm -hmm. uh, in each of these uh, assets and relationships with these property management uh, teams. So. Uh, The first cash flow goes out to the investor. They get their money back and 10%. And after that, we enjoy uh, any additional upside.
0: Now, advisors can certainly understand this type of investment. But how do they explain it to their investors, their clients?
1: I I think, uh, first of all, we don't mind if they know how we make the sausage. We've just been talking about that for the last 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, But to investors, that generally isn't important. What's important is, one, they're investing with a firm. Uh, that has a 20-year track record. Two, they're investing with a firm that has skin in the game. We're not doing this to simply increase our asset management fees, at least from the the retail investors. Third, uh, it's a preferred uh, share structure. So they have downside protection. Fourth, they have a heavy income component. 9% is quite competitive in today's uh, market, Doug, I mean, I've, we've looked around. We did our, we did our <laughs> research. Uh, we do hope uh, when we bring out the next series, which would be in January of next year, we'll have a new series with hopefully a lower coupon. Uh, we'll have demonstrated success in our first three investments and a couple others that are in the pipeline. And we'll be able to go to investors and say, you'll still get the same downside protection. Coupon may not be as high as 9%, but it'll still be healthy. And we'll give you that that back-end uh, component as well.
0: You've been in, in the industry for quite a while. It seems like you're having still having a great time.
1: I really enjoy it, and it's about the people. Uh, when I started in real estate, I had intended to uh, become a specialist in corporate finance or M&A. Those were really the sexy uh, mm-hmm. areas within investment banking when I started at Morgan Stanley. And instead, I was put in real estate, and I thought I was being sent to Siberia. But, <laughs> And I know a lot of folks in my industry can sympathize with that feeling. But what I found is that the clients and the counterparties with whom I was working were larger than life. These were uh, people like Marvin Davis, uh, you know, fantastic entrepreneur. He happened to own the Aspen Skiing Company in Pebble Beach, and I got to help him refinance those assets. Yeah. That was you know great assets, a bigger than life personality, and I was fantastic. So it was a uh, a young man just coming out of college, the chance to rub elbows, admittedly, as a junior person with folks of that stature was fantastic. And uh, the people that we've been involved with, a hundred uh, or so CEOs of the companies I've invested in, I have learned something every day from them, uh, which I think hopefully helps keep me young, at least at heart, if not in uh, in appearance. Uh, and as well, I get to serve. In some ways, as an armchair psychologist or psychotherapist to these folks, because they're CEOs, most of them built their own businesses. It's pretty lonely at the top. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that, being a CEO of my own company. And we spend a lot of time talking about the intangibles. Not tell me about the leasing activity at the shopping mall or the uh, apartment building, but you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? You yeah. know, these are all you know uh, old kids. They may be 60 years old. But they still have the hearts of a 18-year-old, and they're still always striving, grasping for more success. And helping them navigate that is part of the intangible value that we think we bring in addition to our capital to these portfolio companies.
0: I never thought about it that way, the financial world blending with the real world and dealing with real people. So that's, that's really cool.
1: Absolutely. And as well as the intangible uh, you know, benefit of walking down the street and saying, look at that building. Mm-hmm. I wonder who's behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, who's actually built it, who manages it, uh, and it it affects the physical world, the built environment, and that's very tangible. I've always enjoyed that, and now having been in the business for 40 years, there's hardly a city in the U.S. and and hardly any major city uh, worldwide that I haven't been to, done some business, know some of the players there, uh, and can walk the streets and have a sense for the context, the human context, for these massive buildings that uh, really uh, form our, our background.
0: You didn't get to, you didn't get sent to Siberia. You got sent around the world.
1: <laughs> well, I have the frequent flyer points too uh, to prove <laughs> it, but uh, that's a different matter.
0: Russell, how do people find you if they want to know more?
1: Uh, well, uh, they can go to forumpartners.com uh, and uh, they can learn more about our portfolio companies and our people. Uh, In terms of uh, this fund, it's Forum Global Investments, and uh, I'm glad through any of the Kingswood and Benchmark uh, advisors to uh, arrange calls with any uh, colleagues uh, to talk about our strategy, the fund, uh, give them additional thoughts and feedback on the real estate markets uh, as a whole. And we certainly look forward to welcoming more of those uh, advisors to our uh, roster of investors.
0: Just fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: uh, Doug, thanks for your time.
0: For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikenden.